0: Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Saturday the 26th of July, 1919. That was the day that a forgotten boxing champion won the Australian flyweight title at the Sydney Stadium, and it was a crown that he'd never relinquish. George Mendes was born on the 14th of June, 1899, in Piermont, in Sydney. This was a time when Australia was anti-Semitic and moving to a federation that was going to enshrine the white Australia policy in legislation. That makes me think that childhood was tough for George because he was the brown-skinned son of a Jewish-Portuguese father and a Chinese mother. Making things even harder, his mum died when he was two, though his father would remarry a Portuguese-born woman a few years later. Also making things rough for George was that he was tiny, and that he defied convention by wearing his hair long. Bullied at school, he had no choice but to fight. And, despite his size, he was good with his fists. Around the start of the Great War, George got a job as a copy boy with a sporting newspaper referee. There, he loved hearing about boxers, and, using his connections, he demanded an opportunity to fight. George's timing couldn't have been better because in 1916, Jack Munro, who managed the Sydney Stadium, created a flyweight division. At 5'2 and 7.5 and stone, George Mendes was nothing if not a flyweight. He made his debut at the Sydney Stadium on the 22nd of November 1916 and won on points against a boxer named Jerry Sullivan. George won his next four bouts before being beaten by schoolboy flyweight champion Jackie Green in February 1917. After another five victories on the trot, George and Jackie faced off again in July, and they drew. A month later, George beat Jackie and took the title of New South Wales flyweight champion. George was now 18 years old, and he really wanted to get into the big fight, that is, the Great War. Enlistment age was 21, but 18-year-olds could serve if they had parental consent. George got it, but when he tried to enlist with the AIF, they turned him down. As Jack Munro would later write, quote, Recruiting authorities would have none of him, largely because they said there was too little of him to have. But George wouldn't be put off, so he signed on as a deckhand on the troop ship Indara, which was bound for service in Egypt. Over the next two years, George worked on this vessel, and he also entertained the troops with boxing exhibitions. In January 1919, at an Egyptian venue called the El Dorado, George took on an English champion named James Oliphant. As was often the case in his career, George's opponent was bigger than he was. James Oliphant weighed 9 stone 4 pounds, while George tipped the scales at just 7 stone 8 pounds. This huge difference in size made no difference at all. In the 10th round, George delivered a 1-2 right-left that put James Oliphant on the canvas. The Englishman's corner threw in the towel, and as a digger named Fred Hamilton wrote in a letter back home, quote, Australians leapt to their feet and sang Australia will be there. Mendes was picked up by Australian soldiers and carried round the ring. Returning to Australia in 1919, George went back to professional fighting, knocking out George Grey and George Eddy before beating Jack Brown on points. Jack Brown wasn't a problem, but his old foe Jack Green was, and in May 1919, George took him on in a fight that would decide Australia's bantamweight champion. This time, the weight difference did make a difference. Jack Green had gotten bigger since his schoolboy days, and he beat George Mendes. Two months later, though, on this day, the 26th of July, 1919, George faced off with George Eddy at Sydney Stadium for the Australian flyweight title. It was a tough fight, fast and clever, but in the 18th round, George Mendes' hard punching saw George Eddy staggering badly. Referee Joe Wallace stepped in to stop the fight and declared George Mendes' the winner. He was now Australia's flyweight champion. George Mendy's string of wins continued. He conquered Kid Cave in Melbourne and Billy Tingle at Sydney's Hippodrome. But Billy Tingle would prove one of his toughest opponents, and in July 1920, they fought to a draw. Here's how one newspaper writer described this epic battle. Apologies in advance for the anti-Semitic and racist content, but this does give you an idea of how George Mendes was sometimes described, as well as providing a great portrait of just how game he was in the ring. Tingle beautifully eluded Mendes' blows, drew him out and smashed rights to the body. A left tore the thin membrane of George's unfortunately shaped nose, and sundry jolts burst nose and mouth again till he shed ruby copiously. He was cherry in consequence. In the 10th, his right eye was discoloured and half closed. He looked considerably bent, but proved he was not broken by the way he hopped up after being fought down. He battled out the round, but to the average onlooker, it appeared to be a dying effort. Many good judges reckoned that the next would see his finish. And then came the surprise. With bad damaged optic, nose skin like a banana and burst lips, that amazing brown streak hopped out and kept a glittering eye on tingles as steady as a fixed lighthouse glare. Even when the confident Billy whipped a stiff left swing to the ear and made his knees sag, he showed no fear, but ducked under the next and smashed a left to the chin that made tingle reel. A roar went up that could have been heard at D.Y. Many rose and shouted their admiration when Mendes followed it upwards with an attack like an aroused wildcat. George Mendes went down twice in the 10th round and twice in the 11th but fought on to a draw. Snowy Baker wrote, quote, Although George Mendes conceded Billy Tingle six pounds in weight on Saturday night at the stadium, he went mighty close to getting a points decision over his heavier opponent. Maybe so that night, but George Mendes would lose twice to Billy Tingle in Brisbane in October that year. Even so, he'd never lose a flyweight title fight. In 1921, George went to the Philippines to fight a boxer calling himself Pancho Villa, and on the 8th of December, George was knocked out in the third round. There was no shame in this loss because Pancho Villa went on to become the world flyweight title holder. Back in Australia in 1922, George won most of his fights, though whenever he faced Billy Tingle, it could go either way. George Mendes was hugely popular with boxing fans, not least for his reputation as a gentleman who'd refrain from delivering too much punishment to opponents who were clearly destined for the canvas anyway. Out of the ring, George lived a blameless life. He didn't smoke or drink, and he still lived in his old neighbourhood of Piermont, now sharing a home with his wife Jessie and their daughter Isabel, who'd been born around the end of 1920. In July 1923, George added his good friend Harry Gordon of Melbourne to the long list of opponents he'd KO'd in the ring. After that fight, George, over the next 10 months, fought 10 more times, winning nine of these matches and drawing once. Now there was talk of bringing Pancho Villa, by this time world flyweight champion, out to Australia to give George a shot at the title. After a Melbourne fight on the 4th of April 1924, George had no fight scheduled and with his wife Jessie sick, he didn't train. Then at the end of the month, a big fight scheduled for the 3rd of May at the Sydney Stadium was cancelled with just day's notice. Jack Munro asked George Mendes for a favour. Would he take on his friend Harry Gordon this Saturday night as the headline fight at the stadium? George said no to this replacement fight because it was short notice, he was out of condition and he was worried about Jessie who looked like she might have to go to hospital. Then George learned that Harry really needed the money because his wife was pregnant. So George agreed to the fight. He crammed in as much training as he could in the few days left to him, but there was only so much he could do. George was still having serious second thoughts on the Saturday. His wife, Jessie, didn't want him to fight, and even his trainer said he should cancel. George didn't feel like he could. The newspaper ads had been printed and tickets were being sold. Here's that day's Daily Telegraph, quote, George Mendes will be seen in action again at the stadium tonight. The flyweight champion is one of the phenomenons of the modern ring, and tonight he will meet just the man to try his speed and science. This is Harry Gordon, one of the toughest men of his weight in Australia. As George wasn't in top condition, his strategy in the fight would be to try to overwhelm Harry Gordon quickly. And for the first six rounds, he hammered his opponent. But Harry Gordon didn't go down and as George started to tire, Harry landed more blows. When the 15th round started, George was ahead on points, and if he could hang on, he'd win. Two minutes and ten seconds into this round, as he stepped away from a clinch, George misjudged his position, and Harry landed a right on his chin. As Truth Newspaper reported, quote, He was out before he reached the mat, for he fell as rigid as a paling, never making the slightest effort to save himself as he dropped. The back of his head struck first, and he stretched, prone and still. The sound of George's head hitting the canvas was heard all around Sydney Stadium. Out of habit, Joe Wallace, the ref who'd declared George the Australian flyweight champion five years ago, now started the count. He stopped at four. It was clear the champ was unconscious and not getting up. George's trainer rushed to his side, followed by doctors, and they removed him to a room to await the ambulance. Initially, these doctors thought George had suffered a broken nose and concussion. It was far worse than that. Taken to St. Vincent's Hospital, George remained in a coma. Suspecting the worst and in a last-ditch effort to save his life, doctors operated on him on Monday afternoon. Yet George was beyond help, and he died at 12.45 the following morning. An inquest would find he died of a brain haemorrhage and that his death had been accidental. No blame was attached to Harry Gordon or to Sydney Stadiums, which had ensured that the canvas was well sprung and heavily padded. There was an outpouring of grief over the loss of this champion at just 24 years of age. Smith Weekly put it this way, quote, Boxing Australia mourns today the loss of a great ring general and scientist, a brave fighter and a gentleman in and out of the ring. The Daily Telegraph called him one of the most popular and clever boxers in Australia. George Mendy's funeral procession left his Piemont home at 1pm on the 7th of May 1924. The streets were lined with silent children who'd loved their friendly local hero a carriage carrying his coffin to the mortuary station was followed by more than 100 motor cars. Extra carriages had to be added to the train that would take George and the mourners to the necropolis at Rookwood. There, his wife, little daughter, family members and various sporting, political and business dignitaries said their goodbyes. As would be the case with Aboriginal boxer Dave Sands, whose story we heard in the 9th of July episode, a charity boxing tournament was put on for George's widow and daughter. And this event, along with other donations, raised more than £400 for Jessie and Isabel. Writing about George Mendes years later, Jack Munro would quote a report that had called him... The fastest boxer alive, the slickest on his feet, and the most agile and slippery ever to appear in an Australian ring. Of this, Jack Munro wrote, It was a high assessment, but not too high to be true. Added to these qualities, reinforcing them and giving them new brilliance was punching power. George probably packed more dynamite in his glove than any man of his size we have ever seen in the Commonwealth. What's astounding to me is that despite his prowess and his popularity, George Mendes is almost completely unknown today. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. I came to his story completely by accident while trawling the National Library of Australia's Trove newspaper database. What was even more amazing was finding two scrapbooks, totaling about 150 pages, are also held by the National Library of Australia. These volumes are filled with yellowing newspaper clippings and dozens of photographs George took while he was in the Philippines. If you Google George Mendes, M-E-N-D-I-E-S, ephemera scrapbook, the first hit you should get is the National Library of Australia, so you can see these pictures and newspaper articles for yourself. These scrapbooks are credited as having been created by George, which is probably true, though someone, likely his wife, added the sad newspaper articles about his death. A final note, Harry Gordon continued boxing for a few more years before he retired. His wife had that baby, and this boy would grow up to be one of Australia's most important newspaper reporters, editors, and sporting figures. This Harry Gordon was a man whose efforts also saved thousands of Australian lives. And we'll look at his life in another episode of Australia on This Day. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news.